0: At the end of the Bible passage, I would say this is the word of the Lord, and we'll respond with thanks be to God. Our scripture today is taken from Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. That's Luke 17, verses 11 to 19. Verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Verse 19, then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Taiwo. Hallelujah. So we began a series, a mini-series of sorts, last week uh, on transitions. And last week, Femi tried to show us how to keep focus as we come into the new year. He asked us... uh, he had like, is it four or five Ds? Who remembers what they are? Four. four Ds. Okay, somebody's paying attention. All right, what are the Ds? He asked us to be determined, to have a destination, to be dedicated, to be disciplined. Yeah, okay. And then he talked about the, tr- uh, the troubles we may have with distractions. So today we'll, com- uh, we'll consider the importance of mindfulness when God brings us through transitions. Uh, transitions are the phases of life that we go through when we move into a different experience, such as end of, uh, beginning of a year or the end of a new year. Uh, when we find a job or when we lose a job, when a child is born, when we get married, or when uh, those things, when we experience loss. Mindfulness, or let me put this way, the, 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 we need to have the quality of reflection. We need to have the ability to reflect on who we are And that reflection requires a mindfulness. A mindfulness is simply the quality or state of being conscious or aware of something. It is the basic human ability to be fully present, to be fully aware of what you're doing at any moment in time. To not be overwhelmed by what's going on around you or by what you're experiencing, but to deliberately evaluate this, uh, the subsequent, uh, to evaluate your situation and whatever responses or reactions are required of view, to consider the way forward carefully. Now in our uh, modern psychology has given us several things that we've adopted and, and had, it has failed us. So we've been told uh, for decades and decades in research that you know, as to, in order to fully experience life, we need to do what, multitask. We need to be able to multitask. And for 20, 30 years, an industry was born that told us the need that we could do several things at the same time and switch tasks and, you know, and in, in order to maximize our time. And now in the last few years, they're telling us that, uh, no, that doesn't work. Multitasking doesn't work. You need to be fully aware. You need to be fully present. You can take on a series of mini tasks, but you have to find something and complete it. And I think when Femi spoke last week, he spoke on, when he talked about that sort of distraction, where we take little bits of things here and there, never accomplishing anything, right? And now we're told that it's actually better for us to take, if you have many things to do, take the simplest one, if possible, finish it, right? Finish it and then move on to something else. So multitasking is on its way out, according to pop psychology, and mindfulness is now in. We're not, we're not going to uh, build our lives on the latest, uh, uh, on the latest uh, brainwave that pop psychology gives to us, but we do see in scriptures, as we'll see today, they need to be mindful, they need to be reflective, they need to, uh, to be carefully aware of what is going on around us. Any attempt at mindfulness today is often sabotaged by the myriad of distractions that we face, right? And by our own penchant to want to seemingly belong to an unreal world, to a virtual world, right? There's a world out there where fortunes are being made, where adventures are being taken, lives are being lived to the fullest, people are finding romance, society is being transformed, people are having impact, um, and, and we want to belong to that world. You know the world I'm talking about is the wall through the window of, for most of us in this country, our phones. Social media, right? right? You have to look good, you have to be interesting, you have to be good at things, and we, we, whether it's on Twitter, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's what, Instagram, what else exists? LinkedIn is now a social media. Um, my Snapchat, is a, my Bible wants to turn itself into, my electronic Bible wants to turn itself into a social media. I think I have a few of you, you know, it's kind of weird. I see what you read in the mornings. I see, and I don't say, "Hey, DM, well done," you know, that kind of thing. So it's 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 where in a networked, where in a networked society, even our Bible apps are turning into social media uh, uh, apps, so so to speak. That virtual world where we need to appear successful. We see people's carefully curated, carefully selected lives, right? When somebody's on a great adventure, it's parasailing in Egypt. And it's Femi. Femi who lives is his parasailing. Ah! Parasailing. I didn't even know if there was a thing called parasailing until I saw his picture you know, in Egypt. And then we, 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 we're, 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 we're just distracted. And we want that life. Right? We feel the need to be an influencer. The need to belong to several groups. We want to monetize our animal magnetism. We want to, as, and if you're, if you're really into, into this money thing, if you can accumulate brands and get people aware and have people eyeballs and accumulate likes, what happens? You can, you can advertise attractors and make lots of money, right? We are, we are we're in a generation where we have the fear, or, or the fear of missing out. We, want to, we are f- afraid. So you are working, you, know, you are having a delivery, a, a report to make your writing, and after 10 minutes you wonder, what's going on out there? What's Trump, what's Trump doing to the world today? Or what is, if you are, you know, what's we cyclers, what you know, wherever it is you follow. And, you know, and after about 10 minutes of doing a bit of work, your phone gives you that choo-choo, you know, and then you just scroll through, you look at it a little bit, and you're like, oh, my goodness, Twitter, oh, my God, Twitter is blowing up, you know. And then you make one little comment, and then, you know, and then 10 minutes later, and then you have, like, you know, 500 likes, and you're happy, right? No, because, you know, you need 1,000 likes, because... DM had a thousand likes. So we're we're easily distracted, and that virtual world exerts a pull on us, so that it's very very difficult to us to for us to focus on what we are asked to do. In our passage today, in Luke seventeen eleven to nineteen, um, we see Jesus continue towards Jerusalem. We see uh, uh, the story of uh, you know ten lepers who are healed. That's that's what we read. Ten lepers who are healed. Um, and only one of them is mindful to do the needful. But if you go through that story, we see Jesus going towards Jerusalem. He reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. He entered a village, and uh, there were 10 men with leprosy who stood at a distance. Now, they're social outcasts, right? If, if these 10 men, if you gave them really nice sounding handles uh, and put them on Instagram, they would not be able to take any picture of themselves. There will be enough, where well, maybe with today's makeup artists, Perhaps you know people with leprosy could present themselves in a way that people would be deceived. But these guys, were not, these guys are outcasts. In today's world, they wouldn't, be able to, they wouldn't be able to participate in any of these things we talked about. In fact, in their day, such was the nature of their disease that they were forbidden from intermingling with other people in society. Now, leprosy, you've seen in the Bible, if you, if you grew up, I don't know how many people grew up reading the Bible, and you weren't here lepers, you just, just, you just thought of people with melting skin. How many people thought of this sort of things growing up? Okay, yes. And so if you're, if, and so today, if, if you hear that somebody has leprosy, you just want to keep your distance. And you should, right, because at its most uh, intense, at its most extreme and severe, um, it is a type of bacteria that attacks the skin and the nervous system of the, the sufferers. And particularly it anesthi- anesthetizes, meaning people are unable to feel uh, senses in their extremities in their hands in their feet and all over their body and and this actually is the basis for serious injury when somebody has full-blown leprosy they don't have feelings in in their hands in their faces their faces start to the eyebrows fall off things eat up you know it seems like the, the body unravels shrivels in, in fact it's said that the body absorbs you know this extreme part so the hand just sort of the bone just sort of absorbs the hands, and it begins to disappear. But the worst thing about leprosy is not even uh, only what the bacteria does. Apparently, in 99% of the cases of leprosy, when you see people with bitten off hands, with faces that, you know, nose that has fallen off, it's actually as a result of self-inflicted wounds. Because you have no feeling there are stories of people who pick up, you know, they drop a potato in the fire, they're cooking, and they put their hands into the fire and take it out, so they don't have any feeling in there, and there's a, there's a doctor who studies, uh, is, I think leprosy is now called, or this form of leprosy we see in the Bible is now properly called Hansen's disease, and this gentleman studied this disease all over the world in Africa, studied them in, in, in India, and apparently what happens is that, um, so there's a man, for example, who, who, at the beginning of, of of his disease, he didn't know he had it, and he'll be He'll be trying to clean his face and he couldn't, he didn't know that he was using hot scalding water. And over time, cleaning his face with hot water, he actually burnt his eyes. Right? He tells like stories of uh, wanting to open a padlock. The padlock is rusty, it's hard, he it can't open it. And a 10-year-old boy says in India, says, I can open open it for you. And then the guy, the little boy uses his hands and opens the padlock and the boy walks away and he sees drops of blood. The boy doesn't know that his hand literally has been ripped in, in doing this activity. Sometimes the, uh, people break ankles, uh, they don't really feel the pain, the bone can't support them, so they just adjust the way they walk, and they're walking in the a crooked way, but they don't get any medical help. So 99% of the problem with leprosy is that you are numb. You have no feeling. You can't respond to pleasure, but you also can't respond to pain. You have no awareness of what this is doing to you, and, um, and because of how... Leprosy can spread uh, within the community, even in the, in the word of God, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, uh, God gave them instruction to take anyone who had leprosy after testing, they had several tests in Leviticus 13 and 14. After testing for leprosy, was it was confirmed le- it, was, it was leprosy. The person had to move out of the community and they were not allowed to approach anyone they were supposed to actually rip their clothes to shred so they wouldn't look like normal human beings and everywhere they went they would shout unclean 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 so that nobody would come into contact um, uh, by mistake leprosy was considered you know next to next to death you know next to death it was lepro- and, and, and it was leprosy and in fact I think in many many cases people would prefer to uh, to die. If you remember the story of uh, Job, it seemed like, you know, with sores on his body, it wasn't confirmed that Job had leprosy, but it's sort of the way he described what he was going through, and we see how Job uh, talked about how welcoming death more than the life that he lived. More importantly to their society was that leprosy was also considered uh, divine punishment. You know, Miriam, when Miriam spoke against, uh, against uh, Moses... Uh, God uh, you know to punish her, she was cursed for, with leprosy for a while and then it was withdrawn. Naaman in the Bible uh, was seen to be a leper by divine punishment, being an enemy, a commander of the Syrian army and an enemy of Israel and um, and so the people of Israel took the issue of leprosy to be literally uh, to be judgment from God. So being a leper was the worst and because because you of the contamination, you had to move out. Fairly quickly, any house where a leopard dwelt, uh, if it, it ultimately could be torn down, it could be torn down; it couldn't be rebuilt. So, they were socially defiled in every way. They had no family, they had no job, no friends, they had no place to worship, no hope. Um, they were walking in illustrations of sin. They were walking in illustrations of divine judgment. And so, when Jesus came to their city, to their village, they couldn't come to Him. They had to approach Him from a distance, and they cried out from afar. They said, uh, "Jesus, have mercy." have mercy on on us. And Jesus was merciful to them uh, because as our faithful high priest, he promises that anyone who comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. And what is great about the Lord is that instead of rejecting them, he calls them to have a conversation with them. He took notice of them and he responded to their plea. So, I forgot to talk about my, how my message is structured. Alright, so we've just talked about um, you know, outcasts. These guys were Outcasts with essentially numb, numbed, numb bodies, numb limbs, limbs. Now I'm talking about outcasts who are healed with numbed hearts. And then on the third, uh, in the third part, I'm talking about uh, the whole outcast, the one with the healed heart. So people with numb bodies, we see the progression of people uh, in, our, in our passage who have numb bodies. They can't feel anything. And the second part, we'll see people who have numb hearts. And then in the third part, we'll see people, uh, we'll see at least one of them who experienced wholeness and a fully alive body. And so when Jesus looked at them in verse 14, he asked them, Go and show yourself to the priest. He didn't, he didn't tell them they were healed at that point in time, he acted as if they were healed. Uh, it, it's, it's seemingly a test of faith. He says, Go and show yourself to the priest. Now, you went to show yourself to the priest. After you've been healed by a physician, and then the uh, the physician will confirm your healing and have you reintegrated back uh, into into society, right? And so these guys, they took Jesus' instruction in faith. They had a great response of faith, and they moved out to go talk to the priest. They went out to talk to the priest, and on their way, they discovered that they were healed. On their way, they discovered they were healed. But there was only one person in the midst of 10 people who, and we have to assume that they're taking that journey together, right? They're taking that journey because um, lepers, when you're cast out, usually in order to have assistance, in order to be able to survive, you have to actually live in groups. That's why you've you've heard of lepers' colonies, right? Lepers weren't typically seen alone. So you have to believe that they moved in groups. And 10 of them discovered at the same time that they were healed, and some of them, only one of them turned back. The rest of them, where did they go? They proceeded to do what? To show themselves to the priest, to, to essentially, to essentially uh, fulfill the command that Jesus gave to them. So it doesn't look like on the surface that they did anything that was wrong. But it seems like, just like their hands or their bodies were numb, were, was unaware, uh, didn't have feelings. It seems that at this point their hearts didn't know what the proper response ought to be. We see in the scripture a group of people where something great, something wonderful, something, I mean, the best thing that could happen to you Mm -hmm. happened to them. They were in such, they were such, um, literally the bottom of society. And the healing was, this healing that they received was the beginning of something wonderful to them. But yet, it appears that it is possible to receive something great from the Lord, but for your heart not to see not to see, not to appreciate, not to be aware that a great thing had happened to you. Or in this case, or in some cases, it might be that they receive this healing, but their hearts and their minds are more focused on what? On the healing, on the benefits, on the possibility of reintegration with uh, larger society. Whereas for one of them, for just one of them, the real import of receiving healing hidden. So, here we are, here they were, uh, just a few moments ago, I don't know how many days or hours ago. They had heard of this, uh, that there was a great prophet in the land. They heard that somebody was healing people. I mean, in same Luke chapter 5, we know one leper was healed. We know Jesus was going around performing miracles and healing people. We know, we know a woman, for example, who had the issue of blood could move close enough to touch the hem of his garments and get healed. So Jesus' fame had gone abroad. They knew there was a healer in the land. But until you taste healing, you're you know, you are, you are not, you not really sure whether it will work for you, right? So that's, they went up to Jesus, or they saw Jesus passing by, and they shouted. They shouted. They had faith, right? But when they had faith, and their faith resulted in healing, for this one man, for this one man, there was an awareness that the person who gave me healing, or the person who caused my healing, there has to be something about him that resulted in my healing. Do you know what I I mean? You had faith to go and be healed. You had not personally tasted it. You cried out to the Lord, and the Lord answered your prayer. And instead of just focusing on the fact that I have the child, I have the man, I have the success, his mind went to the fact that if the Lord, if this person I, I cried out to could give me my healing from leprosy, it hadn't happened before. It hadn't happened before. This person who give me my healing must be someone, someone truly, truly special. And so that's what it means to not be overwhelmed when something happens to you, whether it's good or bad. You know They often say that uh, a man's character is tested not in, uh, in adversity, but in what? In success. Poverty, uh, tragedy, loss. Yes, those are things that can truly, truly test a man's character. can truly test whether, like job, uh, we serve the Lord for the things He gives to us or not. But in many cases, when we receive blessings, when we receive extraordinarily good events, when we get rich, when we find a wife, when we, whatever, have a child, having looked for a child for a long time, find a husband, having looked for a husband or a wife for a long time, whatever it is that we consider uh, critical for us that we've cried out to the Lord, when we receive those things, whether we stand to look at the gifts that we have, Focus on that gift and begin to live for that gift. Or we think of the implication of how did I receive this thing that I have with me? And if you are not mindful, if you are unaware, if you, if you are like the nine uh, lepers who were numb not only in their bodies but in their hearts, it, it is hard to, to, it is hard to evaluate to see God even, even the God that you pray to, the God that you pray to, the God that you cried out to, right? You are, you, you, you are in trouble. You are, you, know, you are mindful enough to cry out to God, but you are overwhelmed, it seems, by um, the gifts that you receive so that you cannot see the God that is in the gifts. So there may be a parallel disease of the heart that makes us so unaware of our terrible state that when we receive what we have clamored for, what we have hoped for, what we have prayed for, what we have hustled for we are unmindful, unaware that truly a great thing has happened to us. Or if we are aware that a great thing has happened to us, um, we're not mindful enough to see the God who gave us these gifts. And too many of us face our transitions with, uh, you know, disappointment or with frenzy. Uh, So on the one hand, there are people who receive the gift of God and can't see God in it. And there are other people who... um, don't receive exactly what they, they, they've had from God, and past successes. So if in the past God has done something great for you, if you haven't developed, if you haven't become, uh, come to the point where you are mindful of God who gives the gifts, then it's very likely that in spite of God's faithfulness to you, in spite of, in spite of God's mercy and kindness to you in past years, right? if you're going through stuff again and you're looking to God for something again, it is possible to still miss out or to still miss seeing God. How many people have attended a watch night service um, at the end of the year, and there's a frenzy of disappointment? You know what I mean by frenzy of disappointment, where the pastor says, um, you know, the pastor gave a prophecy at the beginning of the year that today is the year of, what, you know, today of success, of, of, Supernatural love in this church this year. All the single people. So what, whoa, you've been there. <laughs> you know, this year for those who are single, this year you will find your or for the businessmen, is the year of is it double triple or or breakthrough and triple blessing for what else? What else? What else? If you are looking for a child, is it twins or is it triplets? Double. portion. Double portion. We, we don't. I don't know why we don't have the anointing for triplets. We don't. We don't. We, I hear people declaring twins, but I don't hear people declaring that you will have triplets, right? You know, you know he's, they're not sure you have money for IVF. Um, right, so, so beginning of the year, we, there, there's, instead of, there, there's been lots of promises in the name of prophecies that must come true, right? And then the, this is the end of the year, and I have to see your faces. I'm your pastor, I have to see your faces in the new year. I have promised, and some of you are very rude. You come and tell me next year that, Pastor, you said that um, I would experience... XYZ, and I've not come through. So, what will I do at the end of the year? I must, I must, I must free myself from all of you in next year. So, all I'll say is, everybody here that the Lord has promised XYZ, begin to pray. Begin to what? Pray that the Lord will do what He has promised in 2018. So, we made the promises, or we made the prophecies at the beginning of the year. At the end of the year, we're at great risk of it not happening. And so we go into this frenzy. We go into this frenzy. And the way this the this service is usually engineered, that I will make you pray, then I'll talk about your faith. You know, I'll talk about your faith. Did you have enough faith? Right? And if you are responding, yes, we had faith. Did you pay your tithes? Yeah, most of you will say yes. Yeah. Some of you say, eh. So, for those of you who, do, who your conscience can now allow you to say that you paid your tithes, fully to the end of the year. I know you can come and meet me next year. I have your tithe card. What's the next category of people we can, we can shake off and we can prevent from coming to us. We will say, what can we use to disqualify people? Did you serve faithfully in the church? Did you serve faithfully with all your heart? Did you sow the seed? Did you, you know, we'll, and we we'll use all those kinds of things to sort of separate. At the end of it all, we'll pray again, we'll pray again with a lot of frenzy, um, and then we'll usher in the new year. And most people then start the new year disappointed, with their past, unable to generate any hope for the future. They'll bind to, you know, I have to come up with new prophecies. I have to find a way to, the pastor has to find a way to sort of gather you again and, and take you for another spin, another ride. But that's how generations of believers begin to lose faith. That's how generations generation of believers begin to hear the prophecies. They say, yeah, we've heard it before. They'll say the hallelujahs. They'll say the amens. Uh, The tightening commitments. After about five, it takes about five to ten years for people to actually get to the point where the the first fruit commitment goes down, the service in the church, you know, the level of activity or the level of commitment to work sort of goes down. But you know, for most churches, luckily we'll find new blood. We'll find new blood to replace the reduction in tights and given the reduction in activity. We face, we're we're creating a generation of people who. You know why? Why we're talking about people who are living in a virtual world within Christianity? They seem to be living in a similar virtual world, a world where uh, where it's full of disappointment, where promises are made in the name of God, uh, but we don't have anywhere, or we've lost the ability to anchor people's hearts really on Jesus Christ, really on God, to the point where they can they, they can continue in faith and continue to see the faithfulness of God. So we have these two extremes. People who receive from God and cannot see God in the blessing. And then people who live a life uh, similarly of, 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 not, uh, of also not being mindful and they can't see the things that God has done for them. And I would like to say that in spite of failed prophecies by a man of God, in spite of any sort of thing that didn't come, uh, come to pass, if, we, if instead of that watch night service with a frenzy, of desperate prayer and disappointed look in the next year. What if we spent the whole night just talking about and thinking about and talking about what God has done for us in the previous year? Do you think the outcome will be different? Do you think so? Do you think the prayers will be different? Who can say they went through 2017 and God did not do anything good for them? Who can say that? Who can say standing today they have no reason to be thankful for the Lord? Who can say today, they have no reason whatsoever to have hope for a great 2018 because 2017 was not what they expected because they experienced some disappointment. Who can count every day, every week, every month of of 2017 and will not be able to, if they are mindful enough, give thanks to the Lord for his goodness? Praise the Lord. Towards the end of the account we find Jesus asking a question that we also should ponder. Jesus asked them, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Why has no one returned to give glory to God except the foreigner? You know, speaking of those nine men, uh, I talked a bit, uh, or the nine other lepers, I talked about how they may have been looking forward to, um, to getting reintegrated back into, into society, Right? They will, if they, when, once they see the priest, the priest will vet them, uh, pronounce them clean. Actually, he'll them, he, he would pronounce them, he wouldn't pronounce them clean. He would say they were clean. He would ask them to come back in eight days. If they were still, if the leprosy was still cleansed, hadn't come back, then he, he would ask them to uh, go to the temple and offer sacrifices uh, for those who have money, two male lambs, uh, you know, for those who have turtledoes, Oil, flour, sin offering, trespass offering, burnt offering, grain offering. He would have them offer all of those things. And I can imagine if they lived in a society, t- uh, even if in, in the society they lived then, they would be looking forward to the time where they'll be declared clean and go back into into uh, into society and get re, re uh, reintegrated. One of them will be looking for for. I'm sure one of them will be looking forward to going back to their families if they had families. Another will be looking forward to restarting a business, a business that's probably dead for years. Uh, others will be looking to go back to the, maybe a position of leadership that they, that, they, um, that they held before they had leprosy. What did the Samaritan have to look forward to? Right. First of all, when he went, when, after the priest checks them out and he goes into the temple, can he actually go into the temple? No, he couldn't. So the common misery that they had, because they all had leprosy, leprosy had reduced them to essentially the same level, the dregs of society, right? And they had to band it together in a colony to help each other out. But once they were cleansed, the difference between being a Jew and a Samaritan did what? It emerges again. So, out of, in a, in a society of outcasts, right, these lepers were outcasts, this Samaritan leper, who came back to give thanks, is an outcast outcast. An outcast Outcast, which means after his leprosy has been healed, he still can't get an Instagram account. Or if he opens it, he won't get as many likes. Because he's not among the influencers. He's not part of the Pepper Dem gang. He's not a Twitter overlord. How many people have tweeted and not one person liked, not one red dot? Not one. Not how many people? Nobody? Nobody? You don't have Twitter? <laughs> It's all people's uh, social media. How many people have posted something on Facebook and not one single heart or like? How many people? (laughs) You are all immersed in the interweb. (laughs) Even Shino has... Is that what you're saying? Even Shino has gets likes. (laughs) Okay. So this guy had no chance. First of all, he couldn't get past... Uh, in, the, in the temple, he couldn't get past, you know, the outer court. There was a, this is the place for the Gentiles. He couldn't even go inside to go and offer his sacrifices. He was going to have to offer it right on the outside. There was no... The best he could do is go back to his own family in Samaria, and maybe they would, they would, they would, they would welcome him. They would welcome him back. Gratitude is important enough for, uh, for Jesus to lament this lack. And so we ask ourselves, or we should ask ourselves, as professing Christians, do we really thank God for what he has done? Do we thank God from our heart? Do we, do we actually value the significance of what God has done for us? So for those nine guys, they had healing. I mean, there's no, no one doubted they had the healing. But that's where it ends for them in terms of their relationship with God. That's where it ends. Only one of them goes back to the Lord. How does he go back to the Lord? The Bible records that he's what? He's praising God. He's shouting and he's shouting and praising God on the way. Not that he gets to Jesus and starts shouting. He's shouting on the way and praising the Lord on his way to the Lord. Again, why is he doing that? Because he realized that in the scope of all the things in his life, this search for a Messiah, this search for a Savior is the most, is the most important thing. As a Samaritan, he was so far, so far from the kingdom of God. Remember the, uh, Jesus when he met with um, the Samaritan woman? Remember that conversation where he says, this guy, the, 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 it turns out the Samaritans had a false religion built on uh, Mount Gerizim. And, you know, they looked at the Jews, Jews worship in Jerusalem. And, you know, and Jesus said, no, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem are people meant to worship. But those that worship the Lord must worship him in spirit and in truth. So she was, I mean, if she didn't ha- have that encounter with Jesus, she would always see herself as far off, even though Christ was literally near to her. This man, this opportunity to meet with Messiah, this Messiah that had been promised to to, to Judah, to Jerusalem, to to Israel for years, how was he ever going to come in contact with? He came simply for healing, but he realized he had found something far more important than healing for the body. He was able to say, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And so when he went to Jesus, he was singing. He was praising God. He met with Jesus. He did what? He bowed his face to the ground. He worshipped. He worshipped. His ability to reflect on what was going on in his body made him mindful of not just the healing he had received, but the giver of that healing. That mindfulness translated into gratitude and recognition of God. He went around declaring, praising God. He met with Jesus. He worshipped him. And then he verbally gave thanks. It's not all the same. He then verbally gave thanks to the Lord. And what did Jesus say to him? Stand up and go. Your faith has healed you or made you whole. Now, there are different words that we, we see in the Bible. They were cleansed. Uh, Jesus says, your faith has, your faith has healed you. Another uh, other words, sometimes translated, your faith has cleansed you. But your faith has healed you, he says. When on the, on the way, the Bible also records that they were cleansed. And this had the same uh, Greek word, starizo. In this last part, Jesus uses a different word, Soto, which generally in the Bibles is used to connote salvation. So this man receives the salvation of Jehovah, not just healing and cleansing in his hands. Now, for us, we've seen this kind of story before with Naaman uh, in, in, the old, in the Old Testament, healed instantly, healed completely, And he felt, an. he gave money, remember the story, he gave money to um, Elisha. Why did he give money to Elisha? He felt there was was an obligation created from the healing he had received. Elisha refused the money because uh, he's not the one who did the healing. It was God himself. But there is a right impulse in Naaman that my healing required a response. We see in the New Testament, in the story that we read today, that that required response is one of thanksgiving. You can't buy healing, at least he couldn't, in this case of uh, uncurable disease, and you cannot buy salvation. Israel had experienced extraordinary blessings from God for hundreds of years. They had failed to express gratitude to God. Is Is that who we are becoming? As Christians, as believers, our generation, our generation in Nigeria particularly, are we becoming a generation that, in spite of all the noise, in spite of all the frenzy, people receive healings, don't they? Don't they? Yeah, people are healed. People people get married. People find spouses. People uh, give birth to children. People recover from illness. People become successful in business. God is doing great things amongst His people, right? But are we in danger of becoming a generation like Israel, who uh, profess to know God but do not give Him thanks? For us as believers, we have every reason to be thankful. In James chapter 1:16 to 18 says, "Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, of his creatures." We are right to credit all of our blessings to our Heavenly Father, to be grateful to him for the things he does for us. But the greatest thing that, Jesus, that, that God has ever done for us was what? Like the leper, he gave us his son. He showed us his salvation. The Bible says he gave us a new birth that may be first fruits of his creation. He says that and not only that, we have an inheritance kept in heaven for us in 1 Peter 1 verses 3. He right? says, we have an inheritance in heaven, kept for us, imperishable, unfading, kept for us by the power of God until you know, God is ready to reveal um, his events for the last days. We're saved by the grace of God. We're drawn near to, uh, by, by the grace of God. We're brought into the family of God by the grace of God. We're adopted as his sons and as his daughters. That is the greatest thing God can do for any one of us but it still requires of us what? What is the response? What is the response? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude, a heart that is mindful of all what God has done for us, and a man that keeps going back to God in gratitude, strengthening our love for him. In our generation, we have to learn how to avoid distractions. We have to get rid of the fear of missing out, of our greed for likes. Right? Our greed for likes. I've been there before, by the way. For a brief moment, I, I I explored I explored the interwebs. I did all the I did Facebook. I did Twitter. I did WhatsApp. By the way, WhatsApp is the Snapchat in, of India. You know, in India, all the grandparents apparently are on WhatsApp. Are your grandparents on WhatsApp? Are your parents on WhatsApp? Yeah. Yes. And apparently, in India, parents send parents send. You know, it's like emails. Like when we discovered email, do you, you Did you have friends? when email just became new, that sent you, that forwarded everything to you. They forwarded everything, every warning, every promise, that Microsoft is going to give you $49 if you, you, know, if you click on this link, right? Sorry? You, you, you forward everything. They forward everything, right. So, so, so parents, are, parents are on WhatsApp, and apparently by that definition, WhatsApp is on the lowest tempo of social media uh, uh, apps. Jesus is still asking us, where are the grateful worshipers? Where are the people that will not be distracted by the need to be slay queens, by the need to be Twitter overlords, by the people who feel that they need to influence and have impact on their generation? Our generation is dissatisfied with living an ordinary life before the Lord. There's an intense aversion to be ordinary. And the way we define... And we want to be extraordinary. And the way we, ex- we define extraordinary is very different from the way the gospel would. It's very different from the way God would. It is in, have, it is, it is in being recognized, being successful, being, having an impact. It's being recognized on all these platforms. It's having a following. It's having people who affirm you, who accept you, who bring you in and say you belong to us. You are one of us. You are, even if you are not a leader, you are trying. You are like us. We love you. Right? And until it seems we get there and we get that, we cannot find happiness. We cannot find contentment. We cannot find a heart that is grateful to the Lord. And so in summary, we looked at, uh, uh, we looked at the, the lepers who had numb hands. Their lives were characterized by distance from God, and they were despised by men. They were not accepted by society. These men moved into a new phase where, they were healed, but they still had numb hearts. They were characterized by a focus on the gifts, a desire for acceptance, for reintegration, and they forgot the giver. They were ungrateful to the giver of the gifts. And then we saw just one man who was made whole, the whole outcast, who had his, not just his body healed, but also his soul healed. He received the salvation of God. He became a true worshiper. We talk about our values for this year being love for Jesus. We talk about our mission to build a community of worshippers on what? On mission. And this man, from the time he was healed to the time he came to Jesus, he was declaring the glory of God. He was praising the Lord. And when he met him, he worshipped the Lord and received the salvation of Jehovah. A number of us here are saved already. We have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But God will have us understand that we continue to, he continues to require of us a return. That return is not monetary. That return is not, there's nothing you can use to buy his salvation. All God requires of us is to be mindful of his blessings and to give him praise, to give him glory, to give him thanksgiving. Let us pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you For the reminder to be aware of your goodness, of your mercy, of your kindness. To be mindful of the blessings you give to us on a daily basis. Help us, Heavenly Father, to look to that ultimate kindness that you showed us in Christ Jesus. Where you saved us, your son died for us, and now, Lord, you don't count our sins against us. We pray for that everyone here who receive your peace, your contentment, and your hope. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.